aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, your host every Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening in Europe. It's actually still morning here in Maui. I want to wish all the dads that are listening today a happy Father's Day. We just had Mother's Day, and even if you don't have children, you have parents. So I hope it's a special day for you, a special day to honor dads. And thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Or if you're listening by podcast, then welcome as well. Fortunately, those of you who are listening live are going to be able to watch a slide presentation today. Podcast people, you're the majority, the vast majority of people who listen to this webinar, listen by podcast. But now you have a new incentive to consider joining us live Sundays at 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 Eastern, in that we're going to begin to use um, slides, at least for the premium training, when the Mystery School goes to 30 minutes. But I wanted to do it today to give the people who are listening live a little sample of what we're going to begin in a few weeks when we start the premium training immediately following the Mystery School. This program will always be free, and podcasts, of course, are always free. At the same time, 1 o'clock Pacific, Sunday afternoons. But it'll be reduced to about 25 minutes or so. It'll be followed at 1.30 by a premium training as a response to people who've asked for something really in-depth. Again, the Mystery School will basically be a different topic now, including a little preview of the premium training to follow. But if you look at the archive, we've got over 160 classes in there that are different each week. For the most part, a different presentation, uh, lecture, speech, (laughs) class presentation every week. And a lot of folks have said, why don't you do the classes like you used to do in Los Angeles, um, in Glendale, at the Red Cross. Take a book, spend a couple of months on a single book, or at least a few weeks on a given topic, and let's roll up our sleeves and really get into it. All right, well, we do have the slides. I haven't done that before. Uh, That means a lot of extra work, a lot of extra preparation, Frankly, a lot of extra bandwidth as well. So there will be a small token fee associated with the premium training that follows this free webinar, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. So this will continue free, and as I say, podcast too. But um, beginning in about three or four weeks, um, I don't have the date in front of me, but uh, mid-July, toward the end of July sometime. Um, watch your newsletter for the announcement and the date and and the way to register. And You'll have your choice of buying just one class every once in a while. The tuition is only going to be $6.95. But you'll also be able to purchase a term of 13 weeks, and that'll break down to 
less than $5, about $4.61 per class. These trainings will run about an hour and a half. And again, you'll be able to collect them. And for those of you willing to pay for the tuition a year in advance, and you can do this at any time, classes will only be $3.65 each if you pay a year in advance. So a token fee, not a whole lot of money, certainly a fraction of what we used to charge when you had to get in your car and, and drive to the classroom. And lots of people loved that, really enjoyed it. You'll also have the opportunity to call, of course, or to use text messages. So not only live, but interactive. Looking forward to it, very excited about it, and I hope uh, you are too. So I thought, well, let's do the Kabbalion in seven weeks. We're in the middle of that right now. Today will be lesson number four of those seven to sort of demonstrate what we'll do in the future. Frankly, I've already got people suggesting books. Somebody suggested this week that we do Aldous Huxley's Perennial Philosophy, an uh, incredible book that I taught from in Glendale and spent quite a bit of time reading every single chapter of that book in class and discussing it. And people loved it. We all think of Aldous Huxley from The Brave New World uh, scores of teleplays that he wrote, and of course the classic psychedelic text, The Doors of Perception. Huxley was an incredible scholar and a mystic in his own right. And yet a lot of people don't know about the perennial philosophy, which is a great term for the ageless wisdom. Perennial philosophy, also known as esoteric philosophy or the ancient teachings, secret teachings, sometimes even referred to as Prisca Theologia in the Latin, which means the ancient secrets, the teachings from time out of mind that predate the age of prophets and religion. So if you're one of those spiritual but not religious people, you have the longing or the urge in your heart, you'd like to develop your consciousness and enjoy more peace and contentment, more happiness and real meaning in your life, but religion isn't flexible enough for you, this is what you're looking for, an approach to philosophy that's comparative, that uh, looks at all religions from an elevated perspective and honors every tradition. Um, there may be a lot of silliness and superstition in religion, but what's important about it, I think, and the reason people deserve respect and all religious traditions deserve relative degrees of, of respect, certainly, is not the dogma or the scripture or whether this religion is right or wrong, but to respect the individual who is pursuing a longing in their heart. They're pursuing the love, they're pursuing the light in their mind. They're seeking enlightenment and love, which is harmonious and peaceful and will help to bring an end to war, an end to hunger, and real social justice to this world. And it's already beginning to happen. The end times, remember, are also new beginnings. 
and are not to be feared. We may not see the fruition of the New Age or the Aquarian Age in our lifetimes, but we can already see that things are beginning to change. The New York Times did a piece a few days ago that reviewed all of the commencement, well, not all of them, but but dozens of commencement speeches from this past spring of 2011. And the two words that crop up as themes in these commencement speeches again and again and again are love and service. That's what people are talking to college graduates about, love and service, not making money, not your own self-interest in terms of the ego, the separated self, the lower self-centered self, the you-or-me self, but lifting that to a higher self, uh, a sense of the oversoul, if you will, your your better nature, the you and me self, where we begin to recognize that our self-interest includes our community, our nation, and the world. And if you're going to care only about yourself, that's a pretty pathetic and miserable existence at the end of the day. What if you had a funeral and it was yours and nobody came? Again, they can put all your money in the box and bury you in the ground and you can say you won the game. But I'll take love any day. People caring about you. Watched a video the other day. Somebody posted on my Facebook page about free hugs and the spontaneous events. Well, not so spontaneous, sometimes planned events around the world where people will stand with signs that say free hugs and then somebody will videotape it. And watching people who are totally intimidated by somebody who wants to give you a free hug, other people who hesitate, check it out, and then finally move in for the hug. And in some cases, people who will run across the plaza with their arms spread. Uh, and uh, I also found the age differences, the little children, they're so ready uh, to open their arms and, and hug us. And yet we've created a society where children now are being taught to be afraid of strangers and uh, not to allow people to touch them, even their school teachers. So these are end times, but they're also new beginnings. And we need new philosophies. We need new insight and new understanding. And I guess there's a certain irony in that what's new is really quite old. The ancient wisdom, we go back to our ancestors for their wisdom because our society has forgotten much of our ancestors' wisdom in its pursuit of materialism, money, power over, and science and technology. Again, science and technology can be a very, very wonderful thing. Look, look at the the great technology that we're using even now to do this webinar. But for what reason? Why do we do the science and technology? 
to have power, to make money, to control other people? Or do we use our science and technology to liberate other people and to help them be free? So it's not so much what we do as why we do it that really matters. And that's pretty simple psychology and pretty basic philosophy. So today, lesson four in the seven-part series, the seven hermetic keys from a book called The Kabbalion, which you can download for free on the Internet at kabbalion.org. And Kabbalion is spelled K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N. Again, not to be confused with Kabbalah, which is ancient Jewish mysticism. This is Hermetic. This is Egyptian and Greek. The Greeks discovered the even more ancient Egyptian wisdom, the emerald tablet of Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. And the whole idea of alchemy is rediscovered in the European Renaissance uh, 1,400 years later and, and more. Much of this goes back 3,000, 4,000 years and even more. The exact origins of ancient Egyptian philosophy are lost in time. We're not even sure. But they certainly contrast to ancient Tibetan and Chinese and the shamanic traditions of the world so that we see repeatedly evidence that the wisdom traditions that we discuss week after week in this webinar are truly ancient and and timeless and ageless, not only old, but no, no date, really. They've always been and always will be for those women and men who seek wisdom. So having said that, let me go to the slide area, because this is new. I want to make sure I get the slide up and posted. You should be seeing the first slide in front of you on the web page. And again, if you're listening by telephone, um, the replays will be available and the slides available on the replay uh, as well. And podcast people, you'll just have to imagine. I'll do my best to explain how the visuals work. So this is really a program you can benefit from just listening to it, even if you don't have the video channel. But it's a nice little reinforcement to have this option. And uh, <clears throat> we'll uh, go to the first visual, which is a quotation from the beginning of this book, the Kabbalion, on the seven hermetic principles. It's a simple quotation. The principles of truth are seven. He who knows these understandingly possesses the magic key before whose touch all the doors of the temple fly open. That's how the book begins. Again, we're not even sure the author of this book, although it was published in Chicago in 1908, just over 100 years ago. It was written and published anonymously, and the author is credited, the authorship is credited to the three initiates. 
we believe this may be the uh, New Thought scholar William Walker Atkinson. Uh, those who have studied his writing says the Kabbalion was probably written by Atkinson. He was in the right place, <laughs> living in Chicago at the right time, the turn of the century, and uh, his other writings certainly indicate he had this knowledge. Others say, well, if there were two or three or more people that maybe the three initiates is just a reference to the Trinity that we're going to talk about, the importance of the number three in all mystical teachings. Maybe one of the authors was Paul Foster Case. Certainly he, too, had the knowledge. Um, he was a founding member of the Order of the Golden Dawn, he uh, organized and set up uh, the builders of the Adidum, or builders of the Adidum, often known just as BOTA, B-O-T-A. Uh, you'll find them at BOTA.org, builders of the Adidum. And uh, they still exist, although Case died a long time ago, in the 50s, I think, or 60s. Uh, his organization is still on Figueroa in uh, the Highland Park area of Los Angeles. Still have a small bookstore there and a little temple or church. A lot of information on the Tarot and the Kabbalah. And uh, perhaps Paul Foster Case, a, a Rosicrucian scholar, uh, either wrote or contributed to this book. Most likely it was one or the other of these two guys. But in any event, that helps if you're going to follow up and read similar literature. And yet, uh, this is the book that we've been teaching from from a couple of weeks and sort of foreshadows what we're going to be doing in the mystery school. We go to the next slide, and it says, The seven key principles upon which the entire Hermetic philosophy is based are, and the first is mentalism, which we talked about three weeks ago, the very first principle, and perhaps the most important, and that all the principles that follow really are rooted in this first concept. Mentalism, meaning the universe is one big mind. All right. Remember as a little boy, and I suspect a lot of people have this awareness. I, I'll always remember where I was. I was in the school band, and we were riding in the back of the bus going to some sort of band concert. And I remember thinking, what if each of us was like a brain cell in God's brain? God's this big brain, and each of us is just one little brain cell. Well, it turns out that's what ancient mystics have been saying for a long time, only it wasn't such a physical concept. If you go to the metaphysics, what if our consciousness is one cell or one unit or little part of an ocean of consciousness? Make it more metaphysical or energy related concept than anything material. And yet, for many of us, it may be easier to understand.
think that each of us is a cell in God's brain. Well, each of us exists in terms of our consciousness. The essence of who we are is certainly not your money or your property. You have a body, that's important, but that's not who you are. That keeps changing. You get a whole new body every seven or eight years, right? So you're obviously not your body. You're more than your thoughts and feelings because what you think and feel is always changing. I mean, like like the clouds and the weather and sunsets. They're <laughs> your thoughts aren't the same for two moments in a row. And your thoughts often conflict. You argue with yourself. So we even have phrases like, on second thought, right? Uh, it's it's difficult for most people to even have a thought without an argument coming up internally. It's part of the way the mind works. It's constantly debating itself. So you're more than that, and you're more than the feelings uh, that are also in flux and always unfolding and changing. You are the awareness. You are the consciousness, right? And as a unit of consciousness, we're part of the whole. This is the first principle of the Kabbalion of ancient Egyptian or Hermetic wisdom, mentalism. There is one mind, and everything is in that one mind. And of course, that one mind is in everything. That's divinity transcendent, every seemingly separated thing in the one, and divinity Imminent, the one in every seemingly separated thing. Now, that second part is also called pantheism. And the original Christian church, the Catholic church, and after the Reformation, the Protestants continued to suggest that any idea that God was equal to nature was heresy. And this is where waterboarding started. You were going to be tortured and uh, hanged and uh, burned at the stake for suggesting that God is nature, because the church saw it as too available. <laughs> you don't really need a church if you can go out in a meadow and believe you're in God's temple, or in a cave, wherever you happen to be, you're in the presence of the one life. Today there is a term that replaces pantheism. It's very similar. It's called panentheism. P-A-N-E-N theism. Panentheism is pantheism and more. It is the God is imminent in all things pantheism, but it also includes the complementary all things are in the one transcendent. Big Daddy, all that is, everything. <laughs> and no thing. No thing and everything. Uh, because when you hear somebody who's familiar with Eastern philosophy talk about divinity as nothing, what they really mean to say is no thing. It's not that God is nothing, it's, God, it's that God is no thing. You understand? Um, you, have, you separate the word into 
two words, no thing, not one single thing, but instead everything. And now, oh, that's much easier to understand. Why didn't you say so? It's just like the Eastern concepts that are offered to us in the West about time being an illusion. And so people get all bent out of shape. Oh, there is no time. And yet the Dalai Lama wears a wristwatch and carries a day runner. So if he's so enlightened, why is he suffering from the illusion of time? Well, because he knows both things are true. Time is an illusion on the grandest of scales. But if you're in space, you're going to sense time. You're going to be able to schedule <laughs> yourself. And we can agree, for example, to meet here. It's a very handy device. We meet Sundays at 1 o'clock Pacific time, but it's actually 4 o'clock in the east, and it's 8 o'clock in the evening in Greenwich. So this is actually speaks very directly to our lesson today, the relative nature of things, especially time. Second principle is the principle of correspondence. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the second rubric or law of the Emerald Tablet, the law of correspondence, as above, so below, and as it is below, so it is above. And if you go to our archive, perhaps you missed this class from a couple of weeks ago, go to the archive at our website, theagelesswisdom.com, Click on Enter to go inside, and then click on Webinars. You can listen to this. And we talk about how this concept of above and below actually brings up a trinity. It's like above and below what? There's got to be a middle. And we spend a lot of time in the second class on the principle of correspondence, talking about the threeness of things not only the divine trinity in Christianity, but in all religious, spiritual, and philosophical traditions. Last week we talked about the law of vibration, that spirit is energy, and everything vibrates, everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's another three. A... Uh, <laughs> a sine wave that has a point where it begins, a point where it peaks, a point where it begins to decay, and then, of course, it reflects itself on the negative, the yin and the yang of things. That's the nature of vibration. And all energy, all radio, uh, my voice right now coming to you is a vibration that eventually vibrates the speakers or headphones that you're wearing even now and causes your eardrum to vibrate and the inner ear vibrates and then the auditory nerve carries that to the part of the brain that interprets those vibrations. Your eyes do the same thing. They're perceiving color and shape and light in general because of its vibration and in sound, the various pitches, in light, the various colors are matters of degree, once again, all vibration. And so point number four we're going to talk about today, polarity, the yin and the yang of things.
Next week, you can see from the list, will be Lesson 5 on Rhythm. We'll contrast that with time. Time may be an illusion, but certainly rhythm in the moment, right now, <laughs> rhythm is very real. The importance of music and dance, we'll talk about too. Alan Watts has a speech where he famously talks about music and dance as obviously spiritual because in music you never rush to finish. Everything in the material world, we're always in a hurry to get someplace, but not with music. <laughs> and dancing in the same way, you're not in a hurry to finish, and it doesn't matter where you end up when you move around the dance floor. It's all good in terms of time and space. It doesn't really matter in terms of music and dancing. It's really a brilliant awareness. It frees you a lot. Cause and effect, of course, and finally gender, which reflects a lot today on today's lesson of polarity. All of these come together. So there you have the seven key principles of the Kabbalion. And uh, today we're right in the middle, the principle number four, the principle of polarity. Here we see the basic concepts that we're going to talk about, and this is a little complex. You have to break this down. This is actually one long quote that I've busted up into about uh, eight bullet points here. Everything is dual. Everything has poles, as in polarity, like North Pole, South Pole. Everything has its pair of opposites. A pair of pants is a good example of this. A pair of pants is a single thing. You know, and yet we call it a pair of pants because it has two legs. Or one glove isn't going to do you much good. You need a pair of gloves, one for each hand. And yet together they are a set. One glove without the other isn't much good. The fourth bullet point, like and unlike, are really the same. This, again, is intentionally mind-boggling. This is mental calisthenics here. This is so good for us to stretch the mind. Wait a minute, how could all things that are different really be the same thing? Well, there's one God. There is but one thing. This is an Egyptian concept. There are way of talking about God was to use the phrase one thing, which often is described as the one life. Now, in religion, you have one God, but it's separated. It's a form. It looks like a man with an old guy with a beard who lives very far away and is separated, you see. What creator, I ask you artists, is able to paint or draw or sing or dance or sculpt and not put yourself into this artistic expression of what you do. So this is a very weak and faulty concept. And often to grow, to understand the one God as a container or, or totality of all things in one, makes all the difference in the world. 
that really is one of the key steps from elementary, uh, separative and dogmatic, even superstitious religious views to a more comparative view that embraces the sacredness of all religious approaches and philosophies as well. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Everything is relative. There are no absolutes in the physical world. The only absolute would be the one life, the one God. In form and manifestation, things are relatively true. It's always a matter of degree. That's a key lesson today. Extremes meet. They do. <laughs> you mean opposites are two sides of the same coin? Again, a wonderful expression. How opposite could something be if it's part of a single whole thing? These are the principles of the Kabbalion coming together in Lesson 4, the Law of Polarity. That means all truths are only half-truths, part of the truth, and all paradoxes may be reconciled. It's the great Chinese sage Lao Tzu that is credited with having written that all truth is found in paradox. Meaning if something is not paradoxical, you may have a truth, but it's really only part of the truth. Until you get the whole truth, you're only going to have a piece of it usually one side of the coin or the other. You see a coin laying on the table. It's either heads or tails. But, of course, if you pick it up and turn it over, it's got to have another side. All right. And so the bigger truth is going to always be paradoxical. Lao Tzu understood that 2,500 years ago. We ought to be able to comprehend that now and teach our parents and our children, even though this, I understand, can be a little bit challenging, it's really not that hard. Right? It's just a matter, especially when you breathe and relax, <laughs> and turn these concepts over in your mind, they start making sense. You start understanding. And I've pulled in because we're practicing for the new premium training. I'm pulling in these slides this week to, as, as visuals to help out. So I thought this next slide would help you see that a little bit. And it's the bar magnet as a metaphor for the Trinity. Now, this is the principle of polarity, the fourth lesson of the seven hermetic keys, First thing you usually think of when somebody uses the word polarity or poles is North Pole and South Pole. You might think of the Arctic and the Antarctic, right? Those areas on the Earth that are at the top and the bottom or the opposites. But even in the Earth, they are magnetic poles, just like the bar magnets. The Earth does indeed have a magnetic field around it. Thank goodness, otherwise life would not exist, at least as we know it. It's the magnetic field in part that creates the shield 
that blocks much of the solar uh, solar radiation that we're exposed to, the sometimes called the Van Allen belt. And here we can see a demonstration of the bar magnet with a north pole and the south pole, and these lines are called the magnetic lines of flux. And you can see that not only do they go around the bar magnet, but also above and below the bar magnet. If you look carefully, those of you who are on the web with us today, you'll see little arrows pointing down, which indicates that there is a what an alchemist would call a precipitation, a downward flow in this magnetic field from north to south. I won't dwell on it today, but this gives rise to the concept that spirit moves into matter. Spirit precipitates down like a gentle rainfall from an above, and actually in everywhere equally present, but we usually look up when we talk about everywhere equally present, raining down upon us into our physical nature, a yogi would say in the crown chakra, the top of your head, via the shishumna, filling the body, and then radiating, as a magnetic field does, out into the world. This, of course, has to be balanced because of the nature of polarity by an upward flow. So if spirit comes down in the magnetic field, what is it that goes up? And it's consciousness or awareness. A teacher of mine used to say, it is the downward and outward flow of spirit into matter that creates the inward and the upward growth of awareness or consciousness. Very nice concept, very beautiful concept. And so... You even see in the magnetic field a sense of energy moving down, but of course it doesn't all end up at the bottom. There's got got to be an upward flow. Uh, That's why these are called lines of flux, because they're changing. It's alive. This thing breathes. So you've got this bar magnet in the middle, You've got the lines of flux around it. And again, this is a metaphor or an allegory and helps you understand why God has been traditionally referred to as the father and the material end of the bar magnet as the mother because matter is receptive. Matter, which even means mother, Mater, mater, means mother. And the material, physical universe is receptive to the causative nature of spirit. The ancient said, well, that's like nature with the male and the female species. And the male is the outgoing, and the female is the receptive. The male is all big and bright and bold and colorful and in most species, is the one that goes hunting for food. Well, happy Father's Day. While (laughs) to the north end of the bar magnet, while mom stays home and she's more camouflaged and a little smaller and gives 
her life's purpose to making the home, to nesting, to giving life and nurturing life. The ancients saw that as profound. And we would too, if we could turn off the TV, stop working 80 hours a week, and reflect upon nature as giving us a deeper meaning of life. We'll talk more about this in the seventh and final class a couple of weeks from now when we discuss the concept of gender. And then you'll see this big area in the center, of course, which is really not just the 50-yard line or the bindle or the bar magnet, but a reference to the third element or the magnetic field around it. So here's the trinity, Father, North Pole, Spirit, Mother, South Pole, matter. And the third element stands as number two and makes the three a one. That's the heart and soul. This is the sun. This is what's meant by the sun of the father and mother. Now, for its own reasons, the church, Catholic church, Protestants, and Christianity, the patriarchs of religion, like to keep women out of things. So they said, we've got to change this ancient construct. We'll call it Father, Son, and instead of Mother, we'll call it Holy Spirit. As if the Father wasn't holy or the Son wasn't holy. And if you challenge a priest or a minister, they'll say, well, it's all Holy Spirit. Well, it's all Father and it's all Mother. Why don't we use the proper terms here? How about father, son, mother, right? Or spirit, soul, matter. Or spirit, consciousness, matter. You see, there's the trinity. And again, if you go to the website, theagelesswisdom.com, and enter, click enter, and then instead of webinars, go to articles. You'll see 45 or 50 different articles that I've posted in there, one of which is on the Trinity and contains a list laid out in uh, like a grid fashion of trinities that are used in religious, mathematical, scientific, and philosophical constructs from all over the world. That'll help you a lot with this, I think. Now, you'll also notice I put the caduceus in here, and I say the caduceus is the lower correspondence of this trinity in man, the mental, emotional, and physical being the lower correspondence of the father, the son, and the mother aspect, the spirit, soul, consciousness, and matter. The caduceus corresponds to the spine. And you've probably seen pictures of different kings holding a scepter, a vertical stick. Or maybe if you've ever been to a Catholic church or you were raised Catholic, or you may still be Catholic, you know the bishop has his crozier or staff. Moses had a stick. Wizards, Merlin, they have a stick, a staff. 
like the king's scepter. Uh, wizards often have a wand, a magic wand. Harry Potter has a wand. Same concept as the caduceus. It corresponds to the spine. It relates to the chakra system, again, seven in number. I find all of this stuff really fascinating. And you may see this as the scepter, if you will, or the rod of power that was carried by Hermes, the prophet of ancient Egypt. And you'll notice in this a spiral DNA kind of helix, which is, if you look closely, especially near the top, appears to be a couple of intertwined snakes. They have names in yoga, Ida and Pingala. The two snakes, the Ida and Pingala, are the polarities. Here we are again, the positive and the negative. That's not right and wrong, good and bad, positive and negative. <laughs> They're just the appearance of opposites in a single unified field. Interweaving, like the DNA helix, winding their way from the bottom, the base of the tail, all the way up through the chakra system to the top, the crown, where you see the wings. The same wings that are part of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School logo. And finally, the little ball at the top representing the crown chakra and the connection via, again, the shishumna, if you will, to the oversoul. This, again, is a heretical concept, yet a very important concept in mysticism, why it's so scary even today to the church. The idea that your soul is not only indwelling, that there is an aspect of the spiritual essence of who you are that is within you, but it also overshadows you. It's above you. In other words, mystics and prophets and sages and yogis and saints have always said, your soul's in heaven. Where else could it be? It's always been there. You are an extension of your soul already in heaven. You can understand why the church would want to deny that or remove it from the teachings. In fact, many of the founders of the Catholic Church, men like Origen, were found guilty of heresy posthumously as the Church went back and revised history. Like the memory hole in George Orwell's 1984, down the memory hole. Right? You just change history. Sort of like Sarah Palin saying, no, Paul Revere really did warn the British they weren't going to take our guns away. <laughs> and instead of saying, whoops, I really screwed up, they just revise history. Her supporters got on Wikipedia and tried to rewrite the, <laughs> the entry on Paul Revere. This next slide is related, of course, and it shows the wonderfully rich allegory of the pendulum and its relationship to polarity. The pendulum is a metaphor for the absolute and the relative. So the two arrows here point to, at the top, this would correspond to God, the nature of divinity. The top of the pendulum, you'll notice, never moves. If you think back to your 
basic geometry in high school when you learn that there was such a thing as a point and a line, a distance between two points, and then there was a X, Y, and a Z axis, and you went into three dimensions. All of that springs from the definition of a single point, which, if you recall, was defined as a location that occupied no space. Technically, a point exists outside of time and space. In other words, a point is a spiritual concept. It exists above and free of form. It is that no thing that is actually everything. Okay. So the beautiful thing about the pendulum in this way is that all of the movement of the pendulum springs from a point that doesn't really exist in form. And if you say, well, of course it exists, it's the top of the pendulum, then you must at least concede that it is unmoving and fixed. Whereas as the we move our way down the pendulum begins to move more and more dramatically and is anything but fixed. So no movement, no space, and then in movement we get the duality of the yin and the yang, the back and the forth, through time and space. You can see the relative nature in the swinging of the pendulum. There is no 100% in the swing of the pendulum. There are no opposites in the swing of the pendulum. There's no point where the ball or the weight at the bottom of the pendulum is not part of a single unified field. No matter how far it swings in one direction, it is still being influenced by the tendency to be pulled back in the opposite direction. And then that begins to happen. It sweeps past the zero point in the middle and swings out the other way, always influenced by both sides, if you will, by both polarities, both, I hesitate to say the positive and the negative because people describe good and bad and right and wrong to that, but that's what it really is. When I think of the pendulum, I think of a football field where the extremes are the end zones, but they're really out of bounds. That's off the playing field. The playing field that runs from the zero-yard line past the 50 and back to zero again, that middle is more than just the 50-yard line. It's the whole swing of the pendulum. It's the whole playing field, you see. So in mysticism, then, the middle, the soul, if you will, the heart and soul, the emotional nature and the spiritual nature of things, between spirit and matter, You've got to go from horizontal to vertical here, but the middle is the middle. It's not some single point between spirit and matter. It's the everything, like the magnetic field. Let's go back to this other slide. The magnetic field, there's no point on this bar magnet where you could not experience both polarities, the positive and the negative. As you move toward the positive end of the bar magnet, 
it'll be increasingly positive and the influence of the negative will be less and less. But it's always both a matter of degree. You see that? So now when we go to the pendulum, you see the same thing. The swing of the pendulum is like that magnetic field. We've just turned it from vertical to horizontal. Let's go to the next slide. And you can see these principles in nature. Consider that the ancients have talked about this before they even understood magnetism. And now we have a telescope in space above the distorting effects of the Earth's atmosphere that can take long-time exposures of distant galaxies. Here we have two galaxies colliding. Don't worry, nothing is going to hit anything. These galaxies will pass through each other and will have a profound effect on each other because of their energy, their magnetic field. But the particles themselves, the stars, any planets that may be in there, asteroids and other fragments, look at this, the, the scale of things in the solar system. It's like 99.99999% really goes out 12 digits. 99.99999% space. And yet, we're so far away from this set of twin galaxies that that's hard to imagine actually happening. There are particles that are small enough, neutrinos, to pass through the most solid matter um, without hitting anything, without the likelihood that it would ever hit anything because of the scale of things. So here we can see, and in the upper right, of course, I've put the Chinese symbol of Taoism, the yin and the yang, the appearance of opposites, actually one whole thing with a dot of the opposite in each. And any Taoist that would see this picture of these galaxies would immediately say, well, there you have it. There's the polarities, the yin and yang in nature. Isn't that cool? I'm going to show you another slide now, a picture that you're going to say, that's not real. This is hard to believe, but I assure you it's real. Here we go. This galaxy is radiating rings that look like large intersecting circles. Indeed, that's what they form from our perspective here on Earth. This galaxy is probably six or 7,000 light years away. So <laughs> the picture you're looking at is light that left this remote galaxy six or 7,000 years ago, and just a few years ago arrived at the lens of the Hubble telescope. That's pretty cool. And so I've replicated this in a little drawing over on the left, suggesting that this is a metaphor for the fish symbol that Christians often have attached to the back of their car, but don't really know what it means. They, they'll tell you it represents Christianity. 
They might even know a story about a uh, time shortly after the death of Christ when the Christians were so persecuted that they were a secret cult, a Jewish cult, and they would use the fish symbol, whether you think of that as being of the Piscean Age, the fish, or the fact that many of the apostles were fishermen, or so many of Christ's miracles had to do with the fish, the fishes in the loaf, the coin in the fish's mouth for the temple tax, walking on water. So many stories are about fish and water. Any Jungian analyst will tell you that fish represent spirit in the unconscious collective. If you have a dream of fish or birds, because unlike other animals, they swim and fly through water and air, that's a symbol that corresponds to spirit and spirituality. So these circles have represented from ancient times the intersection of spirit and matter. And here you can see how the two becomes three. And I've used a little red color to highlight the intersection. This is the CBS logo, isn't it? And you can see that the soul is not spirit or matter. It is not of God or man, but both. We talked again about this in the second lesson on the principle of correspondence, that the above and below really brings up a trinity. Above and below what? And here we can see that the fish has, from time out of mind, even long before there were Christians, 500 years before Christ, Plato said the soul shares the ground of God. It's a spiritual thing. And yet it extends itself into incarnation. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. Most of us just haven't figured that out yet. If we did, we would treat our fellow man, men and women, very differently. We might say namaste and mean it, <laughs> which is not hi, hello, and howdy. Namaste is I greet the divinity within you. I recognize you, brother. I know who you are. You're like me. Spirit and matter. And there you have the bothness of things. So all things are true to relative degrees. There are no absolutes in the physical world. You know, much of what passes as conservative philosophy politically is this false belief that things are either right or wrong. They're either good or bad. And that wrong is very different from right, very opposite. And all differences to a conservative thinker, to an absolutist, all differences are opposites. But even if they granted you the argument and said, okay, many things are relative, but some things are absolutely true, they'd have a very hard time proving that. And yet it's so disturbing and so frightening for people to consider that everything is relatively true. 
and that there are no absolutes, that even though they cannot tell you when slow becomes fast or when big becomes small, and say, well, it's sort of relative, it sort of depends. <laughs> you know, true and false, right and wrong, good and bad, I guess, is really always a matter of degree. That takes great courage, you see. Where do you stand if all truth is relative? That's terrifying to most people. And the only way to resolve it is to understand what our ancestors, the ancients, understood about the nature of the three parts of wholeness and the polarities, and that, like the bar magnet or the swing of the pendulum, you cannot escape the wholeness or the oneness of things in form. Everything is relatively true. Thought you'd enjoy that. You might have fun drawing these two circles on a piece of paper for your born-again friends. You can either say, where does that fish come from? And when they admit they don't know, show them this. And label the top circle God or spirit, and the bottom circle matter, mater, mother, or positive and negative like the poles of a magnet. And show them that the intersection, the magnetic field, and the other metaphor is the essence of soul. And you've already got one. And you're already in hell. <laughs> this is as bad as it gets, this earthly existence. So I mentioned this earlier. If you'd like to download a copy of the Kabbalion, it is now a little over 100 years old. It's in the public domain you can download it for free as a PDF file from Kabalian.org, Kabalian.org. That's uh, for those listening without the benefits of the visuals. Kabalian is K-Y-B-A-L-I-O-N.org. In fact, if you use a Kindle or a Barnes & Noble or a Sony eBook reader, you can download electronic or digital versions of the Kabbalion as well. I think it's a buck and a quarter, a dollar twenty-five. If you'd like to download the ebook version, but I mean the digital version, but the ebook version as a PDF is available free at this website. So with that, I think we should go to the telephones and the text pages to see if. Any of you who happen to be listening live today to the Mystery School have any questions or comments? And as we look at the phones, I can see that attendance is off a little today, probably because of Father's Day. And a lot of people are waiting in long lines at Denny's. But <laughs> anyway, that's the beauty of having the podcast available. I don't see anybody with their hands raised. I'll come back and check in a minute. If you have a question or a comment and you're on the telephone, all you have to do is press star 2 on the keypad, and that will indicate to me that this particular caller has a contribution, a question you'd like to ask. And if I go to the Q&A, for those of you who have used uh, the text area, to uh, say hello or ask a question. 
I see uh, Carol Pastel is with us from La Habra, as usual. I don't think Carol's missed one of these. And she says aloha to Michael and Doreen. And we say hi right back and aloha, Carol. Always nice to see that you're here. Judy Kraft, similarly, who came and visited us for the Maui Mindfulness Retreat in February is with us. She says aloha. He says the slides are a nice addition to the presentation. Um, glad you like it, Judy. And again, that's something we'll do occasionally when the mystery school goes to 30 minutes. And uh, whenever I think it's valuable, and we're definitely going to do it in the premium training that begins in a few weeks. So I wanted to try it out today. Jim McClellan from the Big Island, friend of mine for a long time. Says, I first heard the concept of a union of opposites in Alan Watts' book. You can tell Jim's an auditory. He heard in a book. <laughs> That's the way I write. I talk about things I have read as if I heard them. Uh, uh, one of uh, Watts' better-known books simply called The Book. The Book. And Jim says that... Uh, he also heard Terence McKenna talk about this on a few of his lectures, and it's helped him to be more compassionate toward those whose opinions, whose politics and lifestyles are not mine. I think that's a very good point, Jimmy. Thank you. And uh, aloha, our love to Colleen as well. Phil Jaffe is with us. He says the slides are a very vital tool here. He likes that a lot. Stephen Ernst is with us, a former Kabbalion student. Steve studied the Kabbalion with us in Los Angeles, in Glendale, when we taught it a few years back. And uh, he sent me a really groovy, uh, I'm dating myself groovy, very cool uh, video that he posted on Facebook, and I reposted it. If you're one of my Facebook friends, you can go and see Steve's video. It's very concise, very direct to the point, and really powerful little video. I just absolutely loved it, Steve. And uh, I posted it, I reshared it uh, this morning, just before class, so it'll be up there. And you can watch Steve's video on Facebook. He says, yeah, these polarities seem to be absolutes, but they're actually relative to each other. Degrees of hot and cold, light and dark, are they actually a structure of the universe, or do we create them? If you actually read the book, The Kabbalion, and time has prevented me from getting into this in any great depth, I'd like to do a visualization meditation exercise with you now. But I will say that the chapter on the polarity makes reference to what Steve is talking about. I've just outlined it for you, and even in the Kabbalion, the chapter is fairly short. But they do go on to use, as examples, they don't discuss the bar magnet or the pendulum quite the way I did. But he does, and it's certainly in 1908, they did not have these intergalactic photos to show you. But uh, the author or authors of the Kabbalion, the three initiates, do talk about light and dark not being opposites except in language. 
I used to talk about this on my radio program quite a bit. And I would use hot and cold, light and dark as examples that came to me intuitively long before I ever even heard of this book. People would talk about opposites and overlay right and wrong or good and bad on things that seemed to them to be so different. And when I said it wasn't true, that fact, truth is relative, these were the examples I would use, where darkness is the opposite of light only in terms of semantics or words. That in fact, darkness is not a force, and it does not oppose light. It exists as the absence of light. And the same with hot and cold. In fact, not only is cold not a force and does not oppose hot, but my goodness, talk about a matter of degree. We even use the word degrees to refer to heat. And if it's very, very cold, then it's a matter of degree. It's the absence of heat. And as things begin to warm up, the degrees, Fahrenheit or Celsius, <laughs> there you have truth. How warm is it? How hot is it? It's like an old Johnny Carson routine. Uh, it's so hot that it's all a matter of degree. And those are two very, very smart allegories. And then the chapter in the Kabbalion ends talking about good and evil in the same way. And I've added to that right and wrong. In fact, let me read this last paragraph for you as we go to the meditation. Good and evil are but the poles of the same thing. And the hermetic understands the art of transmuting evil to good by means of an application of the principle of polarity. In short, the art of polarization becomes a phase of mental alchemy known and practiced by the ancients and modern hermetic masters. An understanding of the principle will enable one to change his own polarity as well as that of others, if he will devote the time and study necessary to master the art. This is love your enemies in alchemy. All right. How do you oppose somebody who disagrees with you and even seems to threaten you? Do you kill them? Do you shoot them? Most human beings are so frightened and so unaware of these basic principles, they don't recognize their enemy as simply different and frightened. And so what they need is love. Not emotional love, certainly not romance, but respect and kindness and understanding which then, because of the laws of polarity, will be returned. This is called empathy, sympathy, qualities of love that promote understanding. And soon, the enemy is no longer an opposite, but simply one who disagrees. All right. This is, again, an extremely profound concept. You don't, in 
in in metaphysics and mysticism, you don't kill or seek to destroy something just because it's different and appears to be opposite. You redeem it. This is the message of Christ, but its application goes far beyond your soul or a single lifetime to redeeming problems, to redeeming your confusion, to redeeming even your heartache, to return a negative with a positive, to save what's good about what appears to be bad. Very, very profound concepts. This is the ancient wisdom in a nutshell. Let's install it, all right? If you close your eyes and relax, if this is a good time for you, find a comfortable place and breathe. Take a few slow, deep breaths as you slow everything down. Sit straight, nice and balanced. Not rigid, just balanced. Shoulders back. Breathe again. Two, three, maybe four. Slow, deep breaths. As you exhale, ah, relax. Create and sense a feeling of deep relaxation. Muscles unwinding and letting go. Tell yourself you're safe. At least for the next five or six minutes, you can pretend you're safe, really safe. You do it every night when you go to sleep. Just relax, but we're not going to go quite that far. We're just going to float in the alpha brainwave level. Narrow awake instead of wide awake. Gently, through relaxation, focusing your attention and watching the mind as I guide you in this narrative. Slowing down becoming more quiet and the emotional nature becoming more calm as the egoic nature becomes more and more relaxed feeling really safe If you'd like to imagine yourself in a beautiful place of perfect peace, like a beautiful garden or a wilderness, a cool enchanted forest or a sunny meadow full of wildflowers, high in a mountain or deep in a valley, listen to the birds singing and allow yourself just to imagine that you can also hear the gentle breezes in the treetops and even smell as you inhale the wonderful fragrances of nature and relax even more, going deeper and becoming more and more relaxed, feeling safer and safer. Understand that above you, certainly all around you and everywhere equally present, 
but as a model for the mind to understand. Think of the downward precipitation of spirit. Or you can think of yourself as being in the center of a sphere of love and light that is coming at you and that you're soaking it up and drinking it in, if you wish, from all directions. Precipitating down into the top of your head and filling your being or drinking into the center of your heart, soaking up a gentle, mystical radiance of love and light, understanding there is but one mind and one heart. In spite of the appearance in physical dents of so many separated forms. And then in the same way, imagine radiating out the same love and light giving away what you have received to make room to receive even more that you might give even more of your peaceful, loving countenance and recognize the harmony that pervades an appearance of disharmony of the unity that stands above and embraces the appearance of diversity and uniqueness. And tell yourself, simply, silently, this appears to be a you-or-me world of this and that and the other. But in fact, you whisper gently to yourself, there is no other. I am coming to understand I live in a you and me world where all apparent differences and distinctions are part of the richness and diversity of one whole thing. And so whether it's two sides of the same coin, opposites of some sort, yet essential parts of a single thing, or the diversity of opinion in politics, economics, education, society in general. These are good differences, provided they are part of the healed and the whole heart. The healed and whole mind. The one mind. The one life the one thing fixed, unmoving, eternal and infinite, like the apex of the pendulum, 
those swinging at the bottom, the material end in physical form and appearance. To and fro, here and there, all about, wildly, with great variation. And both things are true. It's all true. It's relatively true in form. It is absolutely true in spirit. And while you're here, thank your father silently on this Father's Day for bringing you into this world just as you have thanked your mother on a recent holiday in the spring. Whether your father is still in form or alive in spirit, thank him and thank the mother as you consider the masculine and feminine polarities of yin and yang on the horizontal plane and the vertical as well. As above, so below, and as it is below, so it is above for the miraculous working of the one life. And bring this consciousness with you effortlessly back into the wide awake state as you inhale now, fill your lungs, and exhale, uh, relaxing, open your eyes, wide awake, back in the room, feeling fine, rested, refreshed, energized, feeling better than before. Okay, keep watching the newsletter for more details on the new premium training coming up in a few weeks. This, as I said before, will continue free, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School at 1 o'clock, the premium training will follow at 1.30. And if you like this material, check out the Human Potential and Personal Growth audio content, premium audio, at our sister site, FocusedPassion.com. There's an ED in there, the W's.FocusedPassion.com. That's a studio quality program that my business partner of more than three decades Steve Snyder and I do for 99 cents if you subscribe for 3.96 a month. That program is going to be included in your tuition, by the way, for the premium training. So if you plan to enroll for that, just hold off. You'll get both programs. But if, for whatever reason, you like the mystery school but you don't think you'll do the premium training, you can get just the Finding Yourself in Paradise series, the studio quality series for 99 cents a week, subscribing at 396. Okay. So it's eminently affordable, very powerful material. Nobody's ever asked for their money back yet. It's really good stuff. And you can get a free account with six sample programs just by leaving your first name and your email address at focusedpassion.com. Sure appreciate you being here. Happy Father's Day. 
and we'll talk to you next week with Lesson 5 from the Kabbalion of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.